This morning we are in Genesis 21, which on the Pew Bible in front of you, that is page 14. Making our way through this, this book, The Life of Abraham. We'll be reading chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. It should be on the screen behind me as well. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Hey church, good morning. So good to be in God's word, to be worshiping together. All hail King Jesus. So good to sing his praises together. Man, I love the book of Genesis. Every time we open it up, I've been in awe at what he's shown us through somewhat obscure passages, right? And it just has reminded me as I've gone through this book how important it is to Look carefully at God's word. There is a little mouse just running around up here. That is absolutely disgusting. So don't freak out. This is an old building, and uh, I'm sure it, I'm sure it has some uh, some poison in it because they're they've been eating that stuff. Um, wow, this is a good day. Um. It reminds me every time that it is so important for us to, to look carefully because there are riches on every page of this book. Amen? Every single word matters. Every single birth matters. I don't know about you guys, but when we come to birth narratives, I really ask myself, like, why so many stories of babies being born in the Bible. It's just all over. Have you ever wondered that? It's a, it's a little shocking, and uh, I think especially for Western readers, because Western readers tend to think about kids, tend to think about things in a very sort of nearsighted way. We don't think about kids generationally, but that's not how God thinks of Children, and that's not how the Bible reads at all. The Bible is actually recording for us these events, setting up family lines for us that span centuries, recording both admirable and despicable events surrounding these things. Why? To train us, to teach us. It teaches us something about our present reality. When we read these stories, it's giving us understanding about what we live in now, and more importantly, I think these stories have something to teach us. God wants to teach us about his dealings with us today and what he's going to do with us in the future. 
These births in every single story that we've read matters. So my prayer today, as we come to Isaac's birth, is that we would have our faith stirred as we look to the past and how God was faithful and that he might help us in the present and to stir in us great hope for God's future grace in our lives. Amen. Today is a story of celebration and really a story of culmination. We have been in Genesis for quite a few months now and we've been waiting and almost every single week we're like, hey, we hear from God. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. But he hasn't come yet. But today is the day of celebration. Let's talk about context for just one second. Last week, We heard how God acted sovereignly in Abimelech's life. He closed the womb of Abimelech's wife and his servants. And then he reopened the womb miraculously. Is it right by me, Sam? What's going on? Lord, help us <laughs> to focus right now. God did a sovereign act of opening wombs. He, wombs. he can do a sovereign act of getting rid of the mice in this place. <laughs> Let's go. Come on, Lord. So he opened wombs. He closed wombs, and he opens wombs. We're going to see a similar act now in verse 1 of chapter 21. Look there with me. Follow along. In your Bibles, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. This is a text of celebration. I just said that, but friends, they had been waiting and waiting. God had spoken to them years before, and now God has visited, that is, acted sovereignly. He's come in in a situation where it was impossible physically for her to have a baby and here she is holding the child. And she's celebrating. What a testament of God's power that God is able to do miraculous things. But even more, friends, what a testament of His faithfulness. I want you to look at the scripture again here and see how many times we see God's faithfulness to his word. Look, it says, the Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah, read it with me, as he promised. And then again, and Sarah conceived and bore a son at the time of which God had spoken to him. It seems like The author here wants us to see something about God's faithfulness. He's faithful to his word, friends. God always does what he says. Amen? God always does what he says. 25 years before, Abraham had received a promise. And he said, come out of your land. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Then a couple years later... He hears that he's going to have a son, that it's going to come from him, that it's going to be Isaac, and through him that he would have offspring as many as the sands of the, by the sea. And yet, decades went by as he waited for God to fulfill this problem, promise, but here he is holding the fulfillment of this promise. Friends, God's timing is not our, always our timing. We've heard a lot about that in this sermon series. 
But God is always on time, friends. He's always on time. In chapter 18, we were told that, that God was going to show up. He, he had appeared to Abraham in the form of a man, and he said, hey, I'm going to come at the appointed time. About this time next year, I'm going to come to you, and you're going to have a son. He said, at the appointed time. Friends, God has an appointed time for this, and it says he did it just as he had said. On time. Our timing is not the Lord's timing, but God is always on time, friends. He's always on time. And though they had laughed with cynical and unbelieving hearts, here they are again. They're holding this child. Can you imagine the rejoicing, the awe, the wonder that God produced in their hearts? Have any of you experienced something like this where you waited and waited for God to answer a prayer? Maybe it's the salvation of a loved one. Maybe it's having a child that you, you waited for for a long, long time. Maybe it's something else that you prayed for. Can you, the joy that God produces in us is unmatched in those moments, is it not? It leaves us speechless. There's really nothing but to praise the Lord and celebrate with friends. We cannot help but worship and rejoice in those moments. We could close the book right now and have a celebration around this idea, and that would be worthy. It'd be a worthy use of our time. And yet, I know that there are many of you who wouldn't be so excited to rejoice right now because you're feeling like you're still in the waiting. You're still in the sorrow. You're still in the mourning. And I just want to say to you that there's something for you here as well. God, he wants to speak to your heart. He wants to show you that he will answer prayers. He will come through. He is not, he has not forgotten you. He sees you. He hears you. He knows you. He has not forgotten you and your desires. I also want you to see in this story, friends, that this act of faithfulness for Isaac and and Sarah was part of a much greater act of God's faithfulness. Here's what I mean. For, for, for Abraham and Sarah, this was not for them just like a life dream, like check the bu- bucket list, like we finally had a kid, now we're, we're fulfilled in our lives. No, instead, this was an invitation from God to put hope in him for much greater things. He said, hey, I'm going to make you into a nation, Abraham. Sand of the seas, stars in the sky, this is what I want you to hope towards. So as they're holding this child, it doesn't end there. They're thinking about the babies and the babies and the babies and the offspring and even more the blessing and the transformation that was going to come to the earth. They were thinking about salvation according to God's promise for all mankind. Listen to how Hebrews puts this It says, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Friends, that's what they were waiting for. And throughout the ages, the Jews who were a fulfillment of that promise looked upon this birth story and said, wow. God did it. He did it and we're a testament to his faithfulness. 
They read it and they rejoiced because God had a bigger plan. This act of faithfulness, this one act through the birth of Isaac was leading to a much greater act of God. And friends, I think just as the Jews, just as Abraham and Sarah waited for something bigger, we right now can have the same sort of hope. This story, this story reminds us, we who are really a a part of this offspring in Christ, it reminds us that God is doing something great even to this very day. We're a part of that bigger act of faithfulness. Many generations later, God was going to send in in another appointed time a son. And in another miraculous, unlikely birth, God would make a child to be born to the Virgin Mary. And Jesus Christ, the Lord, would be born. The offspring of Abraham that Galatians talks about is Jesus Christ. And friends, here's how Galatians puts it. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Isn't that amazing? The authors of Scripture draw a line from Abraham all the way to Christ. And friends, we have been brought into this amazing story, into this amazing act of God. Anyone who is trusting in Jesus are Abraham's offspring and receive through Christ the blessing promised to Abraham. This boy that they held in their hands was part of something much greater that God was going to do. And friends, he's done it. And we can celebrate. Now let's continue in our story. Verse 3. I had a lot to say about verses 1 and 2. I think I'll go a little faster now. We'll see. Verse 3. Follow along there. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom God, or I'm sorry, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, When he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Friends, God's faithfulness should produce in us faithful living. I want you to see how how that happened for Abraham in two ways. One, in how he names his son. And two, in how he circumcises his son according to the promise. I mean, to the command. So first, look at the naming of his son. We're told that he named his son Isaac. And technically, God had given him this name. Back in chapter 17, we're we're told that God explicitly told Abraham, Hey, your son, I want you to name him Isaac. I don't know if I want God to name my kids or not. I'm not sure what kind of lesson the name would would be giving me. But I kind of like the idea. Anybody else want God to name your kids? I think a lot of us parents are like constantly, man, naming is so hard. We're constantly like, oh, God, help me to know what to do with this thing. We're going to call it that forever, right? So God names it Isaac, and it's very purposeful. This name means he laughs. He laughs. And when God told him that you're going to name your son, he laughs. I think it was anticipating the arc of this story where, where they were going to laugh in disbelief all the way to laughing in joy. That people would laugh and praise the Lord over this son. 
his name would cause Abraham and, and Sarah, Isaac and his children, and on down through the generations to this very day, us to look at God and say, wow, what a God who did that. Wow. Abraham here was exercising authority. Just as God names to exercise authority, he gives us an authority and he welcomes us to name things. It's amazing that we get to name things. And it's bigger than, again, what our Western minds think. We think, oh, that's a cool name, end of story. But this, this is something bigger. When we assign a name to somebody, we are exercising authority over them. I was reflecting on this the other day that, that there's, there's all kinds of language from the world right now saying you can't, you can't call somebody a man or a woman. You can't name them in that way. They have to do that themselves. And yet, nobody's questioning if it's the, the job of the parent to give that child a name when they're first born. Everybody knows they have authority. This is their child. They get to name them. And of course, they might change their name at some point, and that might be celebrated. But in that moment, they are exercising authority. They're able to name that child. And that's an important thing that Abraham did here. In naming his son Isaac, he was doing exactly what the the father had given him to do. And he was naming the child knowing that this is what the Lord wanted for him. And I think, I think there's a lesson for us here that, that naming is just so important for us. Parents, there's nothing wrong with naming a child something, you know, something that you just like. I like the name Bob. Whatever <laughs> name you might like, there's nothing wrong with naming them that. that. But I do want to tell you that, that in naming, in exercising your authority, you have this opportunity to point others to God through a name. You have this opportunity, whether it's in a theme of Scripture, a Bible character, some act of faithfulness, to in that name sum up something that helps us to worship God. Something that helps your son or daughter, something that helps their future children think on God and how He's faithful. You can come up with a story just like Abraham and Isaac have a story. And you can say, here's why I named you this, son or daughter. I asked my parents that just the other day. Help me to understand why you named me Daniel. What, what is that? What's Daniel Aaron? Help me to understand. It was fascinating to hear how they had come up with that name. And for all of my brothers as well. But naming is not just a matter of naming kids. I, I could preach a whole sermon on this, family. The Bible is very, very uh, explicit about the power of our words. We have power to, to name individuals, to, to name them with blessing or with cursing. We have power to name the work we're doing. We have power to name all kinds of things in this life. And what we name someone has power to either, either bring someone closer to the Lord and help remind them who they are in God or to tear them down and push them further away from the Lord. Ultimately, how we name someone or something has the power to evoke thoughts of good or evil, faith or doubt, towards faith in God or to move us away from him. So I commend you. Take thought in how you name and how you use your words. Second thing that 
Abraham did here is he circumcised his son on the eighth day. And that's, that's important. He, he was doing exactly what God had commanded him in Genesis 17, 9 to 12. It'll be up on the screen there in very dim. I'm sorry about that. As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Circumcision is very complicated, and we've, we've preached at length in, in other sermons about the, the meaning of that. But for now, I just want to highlight that, that God is intending in this for his covenant relationship with this set-apart people to be a generational act. It's a generational covenant, and circumcision is a sign that you're a part of that covenant so that you will see who, who belongs to me, essentially. So this act of obedience by Abraham is him coming under God according to his command and saying, our house, my children, our family is going to be set under the Lord. We're going to be set apart under the Lord in relationship to him. So it's pretty marvelous that that he does it. He does it according to the command and he is setting apart his family and this, this will carry on through the generations to show that we belong to the Lord. Our family belongs to the Lord. This nation belongs to the Lord. Now, unlike naming, I don't have a one-to-one comparison for you on circumcision, and all of you are probably like, oh, thank you, Lord. (laughs) But, friends, I do have an application for us here that God's faithfulness should produce in us this same sort of to-a-T obedience to God. For every single one of us, we should obey God when we see him work in miraculous ways, even on the pages of scripture, when we see him work in these kind of ways and fulfill his promises, it should say to us, he's trustworthy, whatever he asks me to do, I'm going to do it. (laughs) Whatever he says, even if it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, I'm going to follow him because he is a faithful God. He's worthy of my trust. He's worthy of my relationship. And friends, when we obey the Lord, it's not just for us. It's telling the whole world a message. It's saying, God is enough. He's better than whatever other message we're being told. This is better. Come over here. Do this. Do that. And we're saying, no, the Lord is enough. I trust him. I don't care if I look strange to the world. I will be set apart because my God is life. And friends, this is the only means that we will be a blessing to this world is if we are a set-apart people. What good will we be? What good, how, how will we shine if our lives just look like the world, if we don't look any different than, than the world? We have been called and set apart just like Abraham and his family were set apart through this act. God's faithfulness should produce in us faithful living. Let's look at verse 5 finally. God's Faithfulness will produce rejoicing. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Friends, here's another play on words. God has made laughter for me. 
everyone who hears will laugh on me. Just again, I just, the story here is so fun. It's fun to look at the cycle here from, from their unbelief all the way to their rejoicing. God, I think, is, is he, he's created something amazing here. A story for us to, to, to laugh over and to say, God, we marvel at you, how you bring about crazy stuff. This old woman, 100 years old, nursing a baby. Everybody's marveling here. Everybody's rejoicing here because the Lord has done great, great things. And friends, I think that implied here is that she tells this story of God's great works. Who would have said to Abraham that that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a a son in his old age. People are hearing this story and marveling. They're looking in. It says... Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Saying that she's telling this story, it's going to be told. Friends, when God shows up, when he works in your life, we should tell of the good works of the Lord. Amen. How do we respond to a text like this? What do we do? I just have four quick applications here. And we're going to worship together. Number one, I want you to wait on God. I want you to wait on God. I don't know why God does things the way that he does them sometimes. It's hard to understand, but if you study the scriptures, you'll find that this story is packed full of stories of God doing unexpected things. Think of Joseph and his cycle of a promise and a waiting and a fulfillment. Think of David and this cycle of promise and a waiting and a fulfillment. Think of Christ. Think of what we are doing right now as the church, waiting on Christ to come again. This story is a story of that sort of cycle. And what is God doing? I think that these processes and cycles of waiting on God, it's training us and it's teaching us to have faith in the Lord. And ultimately, God is deepening our faith through it. It's one of the means God uses to produce deeper, stronger faith in us. Every single day that we have to wait, every single day that we cry out to him again and say, Lord, how long? Where are you? What are you doing? It's us leaning on the Lord and God strengthening our inner man. You can bank on what he says, friends, so wait on him. Number two, I want you to meditate on these stories, not just the birth of Isaac, but on all the stories on these pages in expectation of God's present and future grace for you. The pages of scripture are meant to produce in us faith for today and faith for tomorrow. Just as The birth of Isaac produced hope in Abraham and Sarah and for all the peoples that came from them. It produced hope for God to send the Messiah. We too wait for God to fulfill his promises. We wait for God to rid rid us of sin. We wait for God to bring the nations under submission to him. We wait for war to cease. We wait for Jesus to return. And these stories are meant to help us hope And put our faith in the grace that he's going to bring about. Number three, I want us to live faithfully. I want you to live your life and shape your family in obedience to God. 
And I want you to do that as if it counts for generations, church. I want you to live in such a way that people will tell stories of you. Of how you said no to sin. Of the way that you stayed in the marriage when it was broken and hard. Of the way that you held fast to him in trials and pain. I want your family to write stories about you and say they held fast to the Lord and now generations of people are holding fast to Jesus after them. I want you to live your life in a way that on the last day when we stand before the Lord, he says, well done, good and faithful. And he could roll out a scroll of stories of faithfulness that he brought about by his grace through you. Let's live our life that way as if it counts for the generations. And finally, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. For those who are holding fast to Jesus today, friends, this story of Isaac's birth all the way to Christ and what he has done for us should cause us to rejoice. We sit here, we are sons of God in faith because God is faithful. He has been faithful to us, and we are His because of His faithfulness, because of His love that pursues and pursues. Church, rejoice in the love of God for you today. Rejoice in Him. He has accomplished what He promised. He sent the Messiah, and all the nations are being blessed right now, including you and I, because of God's faithfulness. So I want us to rejoice, and I want us to celebrate, even in your suffering. If you are suffering right now, it's the closest to hell you'll ever be. It is the closest to hell you're ever going to be because God is promising that you will be made new. Your bodies will be made new. Dave Johnson, your body will be made new. Every, every one of you who are sick and hurting, your bodies are going to be made new. And God is going to make all things new. For anyone here who is not yet rejoicing in this hope for themselves, I just welcome you to come. I welcome you to come and find your heart rejoicing in the Lord as you surrender to Him, as you repent of your sins. And if you don't come to Him, this is the closest to heaven you'll ever be in this life. The door is open for you. Christ has come and He has offered to wash every sin and to give life meaning and purpose, and to give you a new name, and to give you a new identity and a new hope for your future. So I say, come to him, all of us, let's come to him, and let's rejoice in him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would cause our hearts to rejoice right this moment in our suffering and in our joy. We pray that you would help us to rejoice. I praise you, Father, for what you've done for us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you that you are the offspring of Abraham promised long ago. And Lord, we today, as we look to the past, say that we long for you to come again and we're waiting on you, Lord. And we ask you to help us to live the life, life that is obedient and holy all the way to the end. Thank you for your word. Continue to train us and help us in our weakness. Pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Why don't you guys...